How many of you like to visit the graveyard, the cemetery, and walk through the cemetery or graveyard? Can you find hope that goes beyond the grave? That's a question that really gets at us a little bit, doesn't it? It can get a little bit personal. We don't like to talk about death. A lot of people don't fill out a will because they don't want to talk about death. They don't want to think about what's going to happen when they're no more. As if not talking about it makes it not happen, right? Uh, but that's how some people feel. And so they try and avoid it altogether. They like to avoid funerals sometimes because they don't want to talk about or listen to death. They don't want to think about it. But I think there's something in us. We need to process this thing called death, right? We need to be comfortable enough to talk about it. And I think the Bible has plenty to say on it that gives us hope, right? So that's what we're going to look at tonight. Tina was facing an issue where her father was very sick, very ill. He had cancer for a long time. He'd been battling it. He'd been fighting it for a long time. He had been rather miserable. His quality of life was not good. She knew that the writing was on the wall, if you will. And there comes a point when you almost feel torn. I want my father to be around, but his quality of life is so bad, I almost wish that he could just fall asleep. You understand what I'm talking about when I say that? It's not that you wish for your loved one to die, but you, you just hate to see them suffer and suffer and suffer. And so a time oftentimes comes when you think, I just wish they could fall asleep. I wish they could be at peace. And that's where Tina was with her dad. And finally, he did pass away. And this is what she wrote. She says, I know I'm an adult and I'm supposed to be strong, but there are some days I feel like I'm four years old and all I want is my dad. Can anybody relate to that statement a little bit? Yeah. There are times that you just, you want to be that little child. You want to be taken care of. You want somebody to come alongside you to encourage you. And who better than, hopefully, your mom or your dad. Now, I know everybody doesn't have the best experience. Maybe that mom or dad was replaced by somebody else. But whoever that person was, there's a loneliness when that person, and especially if it is your parents, there's kind of this surreal, wow, they're gone. I'm next, right? I'm kind of getting to the age where I remember, in fact, my kids asked me just today, we were going by the Biltmore, and they asked about the Biltmore and when it was built, or, you know, the people, the Vanderbilts, all these things. <clears throat> were you and mommy alive when the Vanderbilts were here? <clears throat> or maybe it was before that, they said, was, were they alive when I was born? I mean, this is a long time ago. This is five years ago. Were they alive when I was born? No. Were they alive when you guys were born? And we said, no. They said, whoa. I'm not not exaggerating. That's what they said. Whoa. And a part of me, I can think back to being five or six or seven and remembering my parents. And they were old. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And, And then I have to make the connection of it really doesn't feel like it was that long ago that I was seven years old. And in the time that I went from seven to 37, just went like this. So one more snap and I'm at 67. Whoa! My goodness. All right, well, I digress. But there's a sense of loneliness in this fact that my parents are gone and now it's, it's me. Who do I run to? Who do I go to? Who's going to bail me out if I really get in a a pinch or a jam? It's just, it's you. And hopefully we have good friends and and relatives and that type of thing too. But I think you understand what I'm talking about. Millions of people like Tina are facing one of life's toughest rites of passage, watching a parent die. And that can be difficult. 
that can be challenging. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. So tonight we want to explore this issue, what really happens at death? There's all kinds of theories out there about when you die. But it's really hard for anybody to say beyond a shadow of doubt, this is what happens when you die. And you say, really, have you died before? (laughs) Is that what it was like for you? And there's people that write books about their near-death experience or their out-of-body experience and and how they saw a bright light. And and there's even, I've heard some real (coughs) good medical explanations to some of those things that go on, right? Um, But there's all kinds of theories out there of what happens when you die. Do you go to heaven or do you go to hell? Is heaven a real place? Is hell a real place? What happens? Now, in the South, there was a lot of fire and brimstone preaching. You can still hear some of that, right? And the whole point of fire and brimstone, brimstone preaching is to just trying to convince you of how hot the fire is. Do you know how hot? You know, and they go on and on and on. To me, the hotter it is, probably the better, because I don't want to have to suffer. I don't know about you. The, the worst for me would be the, the, the cool fire that just kind of slowly burns. But that's the other theory, too, is that you burn forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, and the fire never goes out. I remember going to school with guys in grade school, and they said, I imagine eventually you just get numb. You get numb from fire? And, you know, and that's a pretty significant issue, too, because a lot of people have left church entirely because of this idea that you burn forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And, ever. <clears throat> and we're, we're really, I'm just touching on that. Actually, I'm not even talking about that tonight at all. We have another topic on hell altogether, so we're going to get into that. I'm just whetting your appetite, but I need to stay on topic tonight. <clears throat> but there's a lot of people that leave that because I think it, 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 this idea of the character of God, what does that say about God, that if you don't follow me, I'll torture you for eternity? So come back when we talk about hell. I promise you the Bible has a, a, a more to say on that topic, and you'll be relieved, okay? But let's look about this. Other, and then purgatory, that's another theory. There's not heaven, it's not hell, it's purgatory, and there's levels, and this and that, and all the rest. Other religions, um, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Sometimes you go and you hear a, a pastor preach... And they preach about, well, Nana's up in heaven now, and she's looking down. She's smiling. I mean, they write country songs about it, right? <clears throat> There's holes in the floor of heaven, and, and the rain's pouring down. That's Nana. She's crying over us right now. And then later on, the same preacher sometimes will say, and on resurrection morning, when all the, way, all the graves are going to bust open. Now... I get confused at that funeral because is Nana in heaven or is Nana going to like pop out of a grave somewhere? Is that confusing? Or is Nana up there in heaven and at a future time, God's, you know, I can't whistle very good, but you know, he gets everybody's attention and he says, hey, and you know, they're out on the beach, you know, and they're exploring nature and all these things. No, 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 everybody need to come over here. Here, 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 come here, come here, come here. Yeah, what is it? I'm going to come back to earth next week. Oh, okay. Like the second coming? Yep. Well, what do you need us for? I need you all to go back into the grave. Whoa, no doing, right? I don't want to do that. 
Yes, I need you to do that. I need to get back in the grave. And then when the trumpet sounds, that's your cue and you pop out. I don't know. This is confusing. What goes on? Are the dead asleep waiting for the resurrection when Jesus comes or are they in heaven already? That's the question, right? At least that's one of the questions we could ask. And here you have a picture of a gravestone. Other religions believe in reincarnation. So if you are good, you'll be reincarnated into something better, right? And you kind of work your way up the line. That's why a lot of these uh, Eastern religions, they make some really good vegetarian food because they don't want to eat their relatives. Isn't that the truth of the matter? Yeah. Reincarnation. Is death the end? Some people say, I don't buy into any of this hogwash. When you're dead, you're dead. What does it mean? You're dead. So what happens after that? Nothing. You're dead. That's it. End of story. Finished. Capiche. Well, I guess that is an interpretation some have as well. Is the soul immortal or is there a resurrection? That's a question we want to look at tonight too. Is the soul immortal? Immortal. What does it mean to be immortal, by the way? Never die. That's the Superman mentality, right? That's what teenagers think that they are when they drive at 95 miles an hour on these backcountry roads. They think they're immortal until they hit a tree. And I think there's a lot of deadly delusions. In fact, the devil, I think, always likes to keep this whole idea shrouded in darkness. And when I preached a series similar to this in, uh, in Africa, in Kenya, in Nairobi, this topic got more, um, how shall I say, the devil attacked hardest on the night I presented this topic than any other. And, and there was an individual that came up towards the stage. I was out in the open air, and <clears throat> we were in the slums of Nairobi in a very poor part of town, and all of a sudden this guy is yelling, and he's upset, and he's coming towards the stage, and I just keep preaching. And he comes, and he's coming around up the steps, and I just keep preaching. And he gets up right close to me, and somebody else, some of the other people around that were part of these meetings, they grabbed him, and they pulled him off the stage, and there was a little bit of a tussle, and I just kept preaching. (laughs) I chalked that up to the fact that the devil doesn't want anybody to know about this topic. I really do. And so I have to pray extra hard before I present this topic, because He has it so enshrouded and clouded and and overcast, all the rest, and he wants to keep it that way. He wants people to live in ignorance, and a lot of people do. Uh, Speaking of deadly delusions, we have a lot of this in our area, especially with Asheville in our backyard. I like Asheville, but there's a lot of new age kind of thinking up there, right? Not to say that it wouldn't be down here either, but... These are books that you can find that, uh, on Amazon, Soul Sensing, How to Communicate with Your Dead Loved Ones. Mm. I'm not recommending this book. You won't find this book on our book table. I'm just telling you that they're out there. And this is just one example. Can we communicate with our dead loved ones, by the way? No. Are you sure? Why would people be writing books about it? They're communicating with something Are you sure? Because it sure looked like my dead brother, Leroy, or whatever it was. We're going to talk more about that. Here's another one, How to Talk to Spirits. This is new. It includes bonus psychic development techniques. Aha! 
Oh boy, watch out. And it's always about how to communicate with that, that dead individual. You know, just about every time I do a Bible study on this topic, the individual has to talk about an experience that they have had with some kind of interaction, maybe not themselves, but maybe one that they've heard of. Grandma passed away and she came back and she talked to me for days, weeks, months, whatever. Somebody passed away in this house and in that room I hear noises on random nights and I'm too scared to go up there. I mean, things like that all the time. When I was in school, we were talking about this topic and somebody that was in class with me, he said that he lost his brother and he was walking to the graveyard after the funeral, just really beside himself. I think this was maybe a couple weeks after the funeral because he was there by himself and he's walking through there and he's praying to God and all of a sudden, guess who he sees there in the graveyard where his brother was buried, but nobody else other than his brother. Looked like him, talked like him, walked like him, the same mannerisms as him, everything. And he quoted a passage in scripture. He said, he said, in my heart, I wanted to believe so bad it was my brother. There were some things I, I wanted to tell him that I didn't get a chance to tell him. There's some conversations I wanted to have. I just wanted to, to hug him and to hold him and all these kind of things. But I knew it wasn't him. He said that he quoted the verse, Ecclesiastes 9, 5. The living know that they will die, but the dead know how much? Nothing. Nothing. And this brother disappeared. I hear stories like that often. See, that's proof. Is it proof? I don't think it's proof that there is your grandmother in your house or your brother in your house. I think it's proof that there's a spirit in your house. I think the devil's playing tricks on you. And is that real? Absolutely, that's real. But guess who's more powerful? God is more powerful. Some of the time? Most of the time? All the time. So let's keep <clears throat> talking about this topic because we want to see what the Bible has to say uh, about this issue. What's that supposed to be? A crystal ball? I don't know. We're moving on to the Bible. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation 1.18. I am he who lives and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. If Jesus has the, the keys to hell and to death, we ought to be able to listen to what he has to say. I think he knows a few things more about it than we do. In fact, he's one of the few that has been there. Is it true? Okay. So what does the Bible teach about the idea of the immortal soul? This idea that I never die. Hmm. Well, if we go to the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, we have here in the creation account when he is creating humankind, it says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. I don't know if you notice it there, but there's some pieces we want to highlight. There's the dust of the ground. Remember, he, he gets very personal. He kneels down and he's forming with his own hands the human race. <clears throat> he forms man. So we have God's hands right there. So we have the dust of the ground and we have the breath of life. Who's the originator of all life? God is. God gives life. And right here, he gives the breath of life. And so this thing that was just dust, just, 
you know, there was maybe bones and skeleton. Whatever. <clears throat> I mean, really, when you breathe into the first man, that it all happened, right? It was just clay until that point. But that's when life comes into it all. I don't know about you, but I cannot create life. Yes, my wife and I, we can have children, but I think that's a little bit different than creating life from nothing. In fact, nobody can do that. Nobody can do that. How can I make this chair come alive? Can't do it. How can I grab a few ingredients? Well, if they're not already alive to begin with, it's not going to happen. I can bring things alive in my fridge. I just put it in a Tupperware and leave it for three weeks and it's alive. No, that doesn't count either. <laughs> Only God can breathe life into something that was not living before. And so the dust of the ground, the breath of life becomes a living soul. So we have the dust plus the spirit. We're just going to do a little addition here. Equals a living soul. Okay? So you have the elements of earth plus breath, just another way of saying, is a living being. Same idea. So a living soul means a living person. Right? Let's continue on. What is this soul? Is it immortal or can it ever die? Oh, well, see, once you've got the soul, I mean, you're, you're just set forever. Not true. Let's see what the Bible says about this. Ezekiel 18.4. This is one example out of literally dozens of examples. So if you think this is the only fence post, you remember my example about the fence post? That's not the case. This is one example of many. Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall live forever. It shall die. Now, wait a second. The soul? How about the body? That's how it should read. This is a bad translation. The body that sins shall die. Isn't that how it should read? It's not how it reads. Check your Bible at home. I don't think it's going to read that way either. <clears throat> the person who sins is the one who will die. It says in another translation, today's English version. How about the living Bible? It is for a man's own sins that he will die. New American Standard Bible, the soul or person who sins will die. So over and over and over, there is no such thing in the Bible as an immortal soul. Only God is immortal. In fact, we've looked at that text several times. We'll look at it again tonight. When he comes, that's when he gives us what? Immortality. Why would that even be mentioned in Scripture if we already had immortality? Right? I mean, what sense would it make to say, behold, when I begin my, my talk tonight at 6.30, I will then give you supper. And you say, we've already had supper. Give me something I don't already have, right? Yeah. <clears throat> There's no mention of, of immortal soul connected to a human being. In fact, the Bible uses the word soul 1,600 times and never once does it use the words immortal soul. Is that shocking to anybody? I mean, a lot of times you hear people talk about, well, the immortal soul, the immortal soul, the immortal soul. Where do they get that kind of language from? They don't get it from Scripture. God's the one that's immortal, but it's not a scriptural idea at all. It's just a soul, which is the dust and the breath of life, and that becomes a living soul or a living being. So, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it 
to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So even Jesus is talking about, why would you want to lose your soul? Well, how can I lose my soul? It's immortal. It lives forever and ever and ever. No, it's not true. And so only God's immortal. Mortal means subject to death. Immortal means imperishable, untouchable, right? So unless you're a teenager, you're mortal here tonight. The Bible never uses the terms immortal soul or immortality of the soul, not even once. So 1 Timothy 1.17 says, now to the king eternal, immortal. Who is this? Yeah, this is God. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. God's the one who's immortal. He's always been. He always will be. Try and figure that one out. There is nothing in our small little mind that helps us comprehend that. You know, what's been here forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever? No, everything that we know had a beginning and it has an ending. Nothing's forever, right? But God's forever. Well, I don't get it. Yeah, you're probably not going to get it. There are things about God that we're not going to be able to wrap our minds around. God's too big. If we could wrap our minds fully around God, that'd be a problem. And when we think that we have or we can, I would suggest that's also a problem because now you have a God complex. And there are some people that I believe are so smart and so brilliant and have such an IQ that they reason God away. They think they're smarter than God. They do. Anyway, stay on topic. Continuing this verse, he who is the blessed and the only potentate, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone, don't miss that word, circle it in your Bible, who alone has immortality, dwelling in in or unapproachable light. Pretty plain, isn't it? Pretty plain. So pagan Greek philosophy taught that the soul is immortal. That's where it came from. Pagan Greek philosophy, the immortal soul. And there's, of course, that debate, which is worse, the soul, the body, this and that. And then they were, you know, talking about all these lofty things. I wish I could escape the body and all these kinds of things. Pagan Greek philosophy. Spiritualism teaches that the soul is immortal. If you stop and think about all of spiritualism, if you take this main piece away, you just completely unplug spiritualism. I mean, it's just... Because the whole thing is focused on connecting with the dead, speaking with the dead, waking the dead, communicating with all of them, and all these powers and all the rest, and they can help you to do this, and they can know the future there, and they can know what job... And it goes on and on and on. I mean, even I Love Lucy. She was visited by another actress... I've used this before, but I don't have slides for it, so I don't remember the actress's name, but she passed away. Google will tell you. It's not hard to find. The actress passed away, and she came to, what was I Love Lucy's real name? Lucille Ball. She came to Lucille Ball, and she says, you know, you were offered this TV spot. You should take it. She said, I should take it. She was starting to do movies and that kind of thing. Well, if you're into movies, you don't want to go back to TV. That's a step backwards. And she says, no, you need to take this. And 
kind of came across, you know, I'm from the netherworld, I know better, I'm, I'm trying to communicate, you know, trying to tell you what's best for you. And she listened to this spirit, and sure enough, she went into TV, and the rest is history, as they say, right? That is at the heart of this idea of spiritualism. This idea of communicating with the other side. And that's why it's so dangerous. Because you think you're communicating with somebody that you trust or that you know, when the reality is you're not communicating with anybody you know and nobody that you should trust. That's the truth of the matter. And what ends up happening, I mean, let's think about this. If I were the devil... I don't want to think this way for too long, but if I were the devil, this would be a perfect way to manipulate people. Let's suppose you have a great relationship with, we'll say, your grandmother or your mother or your father. It really doesn't matter, but we're just going to say your grandmother. And all of a sudden, your grandmother passes away. And there's that big hole and that big void. Are you vulnerable at that point in time? Yeah, you're vulnerable. And then all of a sudden, just a few nights later, grandma shows up in her old room. And you have conversations. Now, if I were the devil on that first conversation, would I be like, David, come on in here. I want to have a nice little heart-to-heart talk. Oh, okay. And then I come in, all of a sudden, you go, I wouldn't do that if I were the devil. That'd be the worst thing I could do. I I would sit there calmly, and I would do a great impression of Grandma. Great impression. Mannerisms. The, the inflection of the voice, the whole nine yards. And I probably would say encouraging things. You know what? I spoke with God the other day. He's so proud of you for what you're doing. And he told me to tell you that you're just, you're so smart. And you, you know, he would, he'd probably pump up my ego. You get the idea, right? And then if I were the devil, you know what I'd do next? I'd quote scripture. You know what? The Bible says right here. Oh, man, Grandma always knew her Bible. The Bible says right here. And God says, that's exactly what you're doing. He's so proud of you. Oh, man. Okay, I got to go. Whatever. I don't know. Just plant a seed, right? I'm building confidence with this kind of weird thing. But, you know, it it sure looked like Grandma, talked like Grandma, quoted Scripture like Grandma. And and the devil's so patient. He'll do that a hundred times if he has to. And then all of a sudden, there's this big transition in my life. I'm, you know, choosing a spouse. I'm changing jobs. I'm, you know, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, I know I'll ask grandma. Who, if I'm the devil, who now has a direct access and pipeline into that person's thinking, some of their most inner thoughts, and who can give them advice? I think you need to take this spot. You need to go on the TV, or you need to do this. You need to do that. Now, you might be thinking, well, what's the big thing? If that really was the devil communicating with Lucille Ball, what's the big deal about I Love Lucy? I love that show. It's a great show. I watch it every night before I go to bed, you might be saying. Well, the devil's very patient, and he's very subtle. But if you kind of pick that show apart, this is an unpopular message, too. It's like eating in between meals. The whole show is centered on lying to your husband, yeah. right? covering things up, not being honest with anybody. And the more she gets herself in a bind, she's running over here, running over there. She's answering this door. She's selling this lie over here, this lie over there. And everybody's all laughing and thinking it's funny. Is making light of the fact that we're not following the law of God. 
oh, it's good entertainment. Cut it out. Why are you being such a, you know? And that's exactly what the devil wants to think. It's just gradual. You know, we'll take our time. We're not in a rush. If I were the devil, <clears throat> don't keep thinking about that anymore. I don't want you to be thinking that about me. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we, all, we shall be changed. Why do we need to be changed if we're already immortal? Oh, we just need new bodies. No, we need more than new bodies. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. That's when we get immortality, by the way. When we're raised by Jesus Christ. When God created Adam, he placed his breath within him, not an immortal soul. Genesis 2, 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So death is creation, in essence, in reverse. Creation in reverse. What's that supposed to mean? Well, Ecclesiastes 12, 7, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Aha! See? That's the immortal soul. It's going back to God. No, that's not the immortal soul. That's the breath of life. Remember, it was the dust of the ground and the breath of God, and that made a living soul. You have to have both parts. A plus B equals C, right? You got to have all three parts. And so this spirit shall return is really the breath. In fact, the, I think it, we have slides that talk about this. Yeah, the Old Testament Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, which means breath. Same thing, Okay. And so the breath of God goes back to the life giver, goes back to God. Shouldn't be any shock, right? And so the spirit and soul are different. The spirit and soul are different. It's not the same thing. See, a lot of these, these things, too, they hang on like one verse. And maybe it's the same idea in several verses, but it's the wrong idea. And it's not comparing it with the whole and the full of Scripture. And that's part of the problem, isn't it? We got to look at all of Scripture and line up all the fence posts. And if one's a little bit out of line, we have to see can we pull that one in line to this interpretation of the rest of them? Yes, we can. Right? Does that make sense? All right. Uh, the spirit or breath of life, the power of life, goes back to God. Did we read that verse? We already read it a couple of times. I'm going to keep going. The Bible teaches that the breath and spirit are the same thing. Ruach. Okay? Job 27.3 says, All the while my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils. It's an example of that, right? James 2.26, The body without the Spirit, or breath, is dead. doesn't say immortal. It's dead. It's kind of like a light bulb. What does it take to have the light bulb go on? Electricity. Now, if you just have electricity, do you have light? Not necessarily. I mean, maybe you have an arcing or something. I understand that. But in terms of practically speaking in your home, if you just have electricity but no light bulb, you're out of luck. If you have a light bulb and no electricity, again, you're equally what? Out of luck. No light. Or if you just unplug it. This is a simple way to do the experiment, right? And so if you have electricity, and a light bulb, guess what? You have light. So when I unplug the lamp or I unplug anything that has electrical outlet, where, where does the light go? 
Yeah, that's what we say. The lights went out. But the light, where, where does it go? Does it like run off into the corner of the room and hide there until I flip it back on and it rushes back to the lamp? Does it hide in the floor? Does it go under the table? Where does the light go? Ceases to be. Ceases to exist. Same thing with the person. You have the dust of the ground, the breath of life. When the breath of life is taken out, the person ceases to exist. There is no where does it go. It ceases to exist. It simply goes out. You like that? Yeah. Oh, I, I, I mixed it up here. Okay, is there any consciousness in death? What do you think? Hey, that's a good thing. Because I'm just a wee bit claustrophobic. I don't know if it's because my brother held my head under in the, the kiddie pool we had for too many seconds longer than I thought I could survive or what, but I'm claustrophobic. And the idea of getting inside of a box and then putting that box inside of another concrete box with a huge lid on top, and then we're going to bury that thing in the ground and put 10 feet on top. Whoa! I don't want any consciousness of that. Some people don't like that idea, so they want to have that box up above ground over here or something else, right? But there's no consciousness. Whether I'm cremated, whether I'm buried, whatever you do, there's no consciousness. The reasoning person ceases to exist, right? Psalm 146 verse 4 says, His spirit departs, he returns to his, to his earth, In that very day his plans, or some translators say his thoughts, perish. That's it. They're not down there thinking and planning and surmising. No, it's that, that's it. Their, their thoughts and their plans perish. Ecclesiastes 9.5. This is the text that my friend quoted. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They don't know anything. Also, their love, their hatred, their envy have now perished. That's another big idea. Oh, I did this terrible thing, and now they're dead. But you know what? They're coming back for vengeance. Right? And people live in fear. And let's stop and think about this. If I'm naive on this issue, and if the devil is is harassing me, and if I somehow did something wrong, I did something I wasn't supposed to do, and somehow I feel like I'm at fault for this person that passed away, and now this spirit is harassing me, and it's banging around in my house, and I am paralyzed with fear. You know, the devil works on the currency of fear, by the way. He loves for us to be afraid. Jesus says, perfect love casts out all fear. We don't follow Jesus because we're afraid. So all these people that are, are you know, fire and brimstone, and I'm so afraid I'm going to follow. You know, they'll even tell you, they can be a, a secular counselor, but fear is not a good motivator. Not a good motivator. It'll motivate for a time, but it's not a good motivator. Love is a good motivator. Love is a good motivator. Grace is a good motivator, but not fear. And so they operate on a currency of fear. This idea that they hate me, they, they are upset with me, and they're coming back to get me. And the devil operates with that and keeps people in fear for an awful long time. There's something else I was going to say about that, but the thoughts left me. So uh, anyway, it just ceased to exist. It's just poof. 
Job 7, 9 to 10, as the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up. He shall never return to his house, nor shall his place known him or know him anymore. This is another key verse, I think, because there's all kinds of stories. In fact, I, I just heard one just this year. <clears throat> Somebody says, well, this person is, is still living in this house. It's not the person. I'm not telling that, that person they're crazy. They're not crazy, but it's not the person. It's the devil, and it's his evil angels that are harassing that person. Can I go up against the devil? No. Can I go up against evil angels? No. They will tear me to shreds, literally. But can they go up against God? No. So what do you do? Maybe somebody here is too afraid to, to, to say anything about the fact that they have some rattling in their attic or their basement or whatever. You pray a prayer and you pray it out loud. The devil can't read your thoughts. So you pray it out loud and you say, in the name of Jesus Christ who shed his blood for me. Whose name am I calling on? Jesus, Jesus Christ. It's crucial. By me who's so big and strong, get out of here. No, no, no. In the name of Jesus Christ, they hate the name. In the name of Jesus Christ, who shed his blood for me, I command you to leave. They don't have any choice. They have no choice. They have to leave. Right? Unless you have something in your home that's continually inviting them back, they have to leave. And that's sometimes where you get into, well, what do you have in your home? What kind of videos do you have? What kind of books do you have? What kind of this do you have? What kind of that do you have? And sometimes you find, oh, there's this little game I got from my grandkids. It's just a little Ouija board. They have fun with it. It makes little words and all that. No, whoa, 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 whoa. That's got to go. I've heard all kinds of stories, you know, where deans, they chop it up and put it in the dumpster, and all of a sudden they get back up to the room, and there it is, the same Ouija board. It's, it's untouched. They carve something in the side or it had something carved in the side. They know it's the same one. They do the same thing over and over and over until finally it doesn't reappear. I mean, they're claiming and, and praying and, and asking, take it away. Somehow that spirit thought he had such a foothold. I don't know why he was able to keep coming back. Maybe the student didn't really want to let it go. I don't know. But I know when we pray in the name of Jesus Christ who shed his blood, for me, I command you to leave out loud, gone. Does that make sense? Because we know the dead do not return to his house, to your house, to anybody's house. Okay? <clears throat> Death is asleep. And I would submit to you that this is a far better way of thinking about it. If this is new to somebody, they might say, I don't know about this idea. I mean, I've always imagined grandma or my sister or whoever, they're in heaven, they're on the white cloud, they're playing the harp, and, and, and I, I talk to them, I feel their presence, and I feel comfort, I feel empowered when I do this and I do that, and, and I feel like they're with me, and, and now you're saying none of that's true? I'm having a hard time with that. Hear it out. Because there's a lot of things with that idea that I don't like. I don't like the idea of grandma watching me shower every day. I don't like the idea, if I die, 
I don't like the idea of being up there in heaven and I'm strumming my harp and all of a sudden I break a string because Elizabeth's seeing somebody else. I don't like that idea. Then she marries somebody else and then she has kids with somebody. I don't want to watch any of that. There's some slides on this. When we get there, I'll skip them because I'm getting ahead of myself. What if my kids make poor choices? What if somebody does something horrific to my child and I can't do anything to stop it? I don't want to sit there and just witness that. Look what's happening to your son. I'm just playing my heart. You know, what is that? Okay. I didn't read this slide. The Bible teaches that death is like a sleep that lasts until Christ's second coming. Bible writers declare death is asleep more than 50 times, and Jesus does as well. Psalm 13, verse 3, consider and hear me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Puts those together. See, the idea of sleep is that if you have a good night's rest, I had one last night. It was a tiny bit frustrating because I didn't get to enjoy any of it. My head hit the pillow. Bing, 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 bing. You've got to be kidding me. Does anybody ever feel that way? My thoughts perished. There was no dreams. I didn't have to use the bathroom. I know that might change as I'm getting, I'm using it a little more often, but none of that happened. Next thing I knew, pow, I was awake. That's how death is. No consciousness in between. I close my eyes. Next thing I know, and think about that. If your loved one is in the hospital and breathes their last breath, and they believe in Jesus Christ, their very next breath, what is it? To see Jesus. So I visit people in the hospital often, and I'm, I, personally, I get a little bit envious. I get a little bit jealous. Not that they're going to see Jesus before I see Jesus, but they've lived their life. They've been faithful to God. They're right here at the very end, and I know there's all kinds of, you know, leaving people behind. I get all that. Death is still an enemy. But the idea that when you fall asleep, the next thing you know, everything is perfect. Your body is perfect. Your health is perfect. And you see Jesus coming in the clouds. That's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Just like that. Now, maybe, you know, thousands of years like it was for some of the people in the Old Testament. It may be a few years, a few weeks. It doesn't matter. Bing, like that. Jesus is coming. And I like the idea that that person that I love so much is not going to experience that on their own. How many of you want to take the dream vacation? I mean, you've been imagining this forever and you want to take it all by yourself. Probably not any of you. I took a scuba diving trip I was thinking about for a long time out to Chook Lagoon to dive some of these wrecks, some of the best wrecks, World War II wrecks. They still have tankers on it and, and what are they called, depth charges and there's bicycles attached and, and there's even some skulls and things. But it's, it's all in shallow water and so I had this idea of diving and I had a buddy that was going to go with me and he backed out last minute. And I tell you, it was, it was so frustrating to see something so incredible and not have anybody to share it with. I ended up over there by myself. He backed out at the, at the last. I already had my tickets. So I have the dive master but he's seen it a million times, right? We like to share things with people. That's what gives stuff meaning, doesn't it? And so when we go to heaven, when we see Jesus for the first time, we do that together. It's not this idea, I'm so glad you finally got here. Let me show you this planet and that planet and this animal and that animal. 
No, we find it all out together. We discover together. I'm telling you, I, I, I just like this idea a whole lot better. First um, Kings 2.1, now the days of David drew near that he should die. So David rested with his fathers. What's the word that they chose to use? Rested, rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Here we have some words of Jesus. I like this story too. I could talk about this one for far too long. Lazarus and Mary and Martha were a safe place for Jesus. He didn't have many safe places, but those three, they were a safe place. He loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. They were close. And Lazarus is sick, right? You would think Jesus would say, man, I'm there. Drop what I'm doing. I'm there. Our friend Lazarus sleeps. And Jesus says, but I go that I may wake him up. Now, is he referring to sleep as in sleep? No, he's referring to sleep as in death. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. That's a good thing. If you're sick, you need to sleep, you need to rest. He'll be, he'll be feeling a lot better. Do the disciples get it? Don't get it. It's a good thing because we don't get it either. And half the time we only get it because the disciples didn't get it and they help us get it. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, okay, read my lips. Lazarus is dead. First he calls it a rest, asleep. Now he says, no, he's dead. And then there's this conversation. Um, is it Mary or Martha? Martha? Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. She's all, you know, upset. If you read the whole account, she says, why didn't you come sooner? He would, he would still be alive. He would have come sooner. Why, why, why? We ask those same questions too sometimes, don't we? Where were you? And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And what did Martha believe about death? Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Does she have her theology straight? Yes. She does. He'll live again. Oh, she, she could have said, oh, well, he, I know he's up on that white cloud. He's strumming the harp. He's happy. I should just be content. I'm being selfish. I'm sorry. She doesn't say that. She says, I know that he will rise again at the resurrection of the last day. Now, if her theology is incorrect, Jesus could have said, whoa, 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 time out, time out, time out. You don't understand. You're all off. Is that what he says? No. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And then he goes to the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. Some people believe he wouldn't have called him by name. Everybody would have just popped out of their graves. I don't know. <laughs> and so Lazarus comes forth. Um, is that all the text we have for that one? <clears throat> all right. I guess it's all the text. Go back and read. It's in John chapter 11. He doesn't say, Lazarus, come down. He doesn't say, Lazarus, come up. He just says, Lazarus, come forth. And they try and talk him out of it because he's been dead for several days. He says, it's going to stink and the whole thing. And God says, no, no, no. I'm going to call Lazarus back. Now, if I was Lazarus and I would have been in heaven for three days... I don't want to come back down here. 
Do you? That'd be terrible. But he doesn't say come down. He doesn't say come up. If I was in hell burning forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, I'd say, please get me out of here. No. He says, Lazarus, come forth. Because he was only asleep. Didn't know anything. And he comes walling out. They have to take these bandages off and the whole thing. But my mom and dad are looking down on me now and are proud of me, right? Pretty much already talked about that. But Job 14, 21, if his sons are honored, he does not know it. If they are brought low, he doesn't see it. Why? Because their thoughts perish. Their existence, I mean, they just cease to exist. And we talk about, you know, something happened to your kids. They got hit by a car. If your son goes off to war and he's in some uh, army death camp or something like that, you don't want to have to witness that. But that's not part of how God designed things to be. If your son becomes a drug addict, all these kinds of things. Psalm 115, verse 17. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. Now you'd think if there was any existence afterwards, this text certainly wouldn't exist. I mean, they're still living, they're in heaven, they're going to be praising the Lord. Nope. Because they are asleep. They cease to exist. Colossians 3.3, 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ. And someday he's going to breathe back in to your nostrils the breath of life. And along with that, he's going to give you a perfect body. Amen? Amen. Man, I'm looking forward to that. I don't know about you, but I'm going to look good. You're laughing because you want to look good too. We're all going to look good. Not just good, amazing. You know, all these people in the shelves, I try and bounce my eyes so I don't look at the shelves, but you know they doctor all those things up, right? No, those people actually exist. They, they airbrush and do all kinds of things for hours and hours and hours, and by the time they're done, it's not even the same person. And then you and I, we go buy our things at the store, and we think we have to look like that. Well, I got news for you. You can't, but I got some more news for you. Someday you will. And it's not going to be airbrushed. It's going to be the real deal. When we get to heaven, come see me. I'm going to show you my bicep. It's going to be really big. Okay, I digress. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Isn't that wonderful? And so Jesus, I believe, he has a much better way of doing all of this. And if we trust him, it saves us from the delusion. It pretty much unplugs completely the spiritualistic delusion. Now stop and think about this. At the end of time, if the devil who is trying to manipulate and trying to uh, confuse and trying to trick and come up with counterfeits, let's suppose... And I believe the devil is very organized. You talk about organized crime, the devil's organized. He doesn't get to where he is today by just haphazardly doing whatever he feels like when he gets up in the morning. He has a game plan, and he's working that plan. And not only does he have a master plan, he has a game plan and a master plan for me and for you and for all of us. And he's working that plan. I remember I was shocked when I was watching a, a, a show and I, maybe I shouldn't bring this up, but there was a young man who was on a computer 
And everybody that was communicating with him was trying to manipulate him, these older people, and trying to get him to do inappropriate things in front of his webcam. And I was shocked when I found out, not that it was one or two people targeting this young man, but how organized it was behind the scenes, and that there were hundreds of people communicating with each other, well, I got him to do this, well, I got him to do that, maybe he'll do this next, and I got on and on and on to try and target this one person. And I'm thinking, this is terrible. What do we think the devil's doing, by the way? He has got a master plan on us. And so, if the devil has a master plan, and if he is building up his rapport with you, using grandma, using grandpa, using a passed away spouse, using whatever means necessary, and he's building that rapport, and if that master plan includes all of these evil angels saying, okay, now you, you got people, okay, yes, 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 okay. Now, the time is going to come where we're going to do this huge masterful deception. Yeah, 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 yeah. When are we going to do it? When are we going to do it? And they pick a day. And I'm sure they got reasons for the day, right? Whatever day they decide, let's suppose it's going to be May 15. We're going to do a huge blitz on the earth May 15. Because that'll be right after, the, I'm going to cause this hurricane to come. That's going to be right after this tidal wave. That's when everybody's going to be demanding things of their governments and on and on and on. And then we're going to do this huge blitz. And on May 15, I want your grandma, your Uncle Sam, your all these other people, and you're going to come and you're going to sit on the foot of their bed and you're going to say, now, I told you to believe me that something major is going to happen May 15. And then sure enough, it happens. Building more rapport until finally they, they can tell the people all at once, all the same lie at once. I just had this feeling that I need to do this, that this is going to happen, that Jesus is going to come. False, false coming, could it be? Whatever it is, he can send that message, mass mail it to everybody through his demons, and everybody's on the same page. Is that a little jump start to his deception? It's a huge jump start to his deception. Not to mention people's interest in palm reading and this spirit and that spirit and how I can get ahead and know the future and know God's will or whatever it is, the thing I should do in my life. And the devil is the one that is leading this person along and causing him to make mistakes. And he doesn't care if he gives you this success or that success or that success along the way, as long as ultimately you crash and burn. So that's why this is a huge deal. Huge deal. And if you haven't heard it before, you're probably, whoa, I don't know about this. Study it out. Because you need to know. You need to know. Otherwise, the devil's going to deal with you with a currency of fear. I don't know about you, but I don't like to live in fear. God has a much better way. <clears throat> he died on the cross, so none of us would have to live forever. Sorry, have to die forever. But we could live forever with him. We don't have to be afraid of death. Because really, death is our way out of this planet that really, quite honestly, is quite terrible. Oh, I just need to do this first. And that first. No, you don't need to do anything first. Heaven's a million times better than anything we have here. And Jesus already uh, provided that for us. The thief on the cross. Oh, I better keep going here. What about the thief on the cross? <clears throat> Luke 23, 43. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Aha, there it is. He's going to go straight to heaven today. Well, first of all, 
when you died on the cross, it was a form of torture, and they were shocked when Jesus died that quickly. Shocked. And it wasn't because of the physical pain. That's another sermon for another time. But I'm just throwing that out there to, to tell you we have no proof that this thief didn't live for a couple more days. He probably did. So he wouldn't be in heaven with him today. Eh, that's not good enough for me, you might say. Okay. <clears throat> you have Friday, Sabbath, and Sunday. Where was Jesus on Friday? On the cross. Where was he on Sabbath? In the grave. And where was he on Sunday? He raised and was resurrected back. So was Jesus in heaven today, Friday? No. Where was Jesus? John 20, verse 15. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposed him to be the gardener and said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. So I have a question for you. Who did Jesus lie to? The thief on the cross or to Mary? It's a trick question, isn't it? Jesus doesn't lie. Jesus doesn't lie. So how do we fix this? He says, go to my brother and say to them, I am ascended to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Punctuation comes into play here. Now, the Bible had no punctuation for a long period of time. That was added later. And punctuation can make quite a difference, can it? How do we read this sentence? A woman without her man is nothing. How many of you like that? <laughs> what if we put some punctuation there? A woman without her Man is nothing. <laughs> Makes a difference, doesn't it? You like the second one better, don't you? Yeah. If we're going to build our whole theology on a comma that wasn't part of the original, then we're really basing it on something that's kind of baseless. And it makes Jesus to be a liar to somebody. And I don't like that idea at all. Because like you said, Jesus doesn't lie. Luke 23, 43, and Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise, or it could have been read like, or said like this, and Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Would that bring that fence post that's out of line, back in line with everything else we've studied? It would, wouldn't it? Now they're all lined up. I love a straight fence, don't you? Looks so nice. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The devil can use these false ideas about death to deceive us. And I've already talked enough about that. I'm not going to take any more time to talk about that. But I love this idea that on resurrection morning... Revelation 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. We're going to talk more about this. Over such the second death has no power. When Jesus comes, we're all going to experience seeing him and being with him and going to heaven together. And I submit to you that's a far better plan. And it wasn't my idea. 
I believe it's grounded and rooted in Scripture and the words of Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and then the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's when he gives immortality. That's when he puts the breath back in. <clears throat> and thus we shall always be with the Lord. I hope if this is the first time you've heard this, that maybe you like that idea. I don't know. And if you've been basing all the other for a long time, this, this could be a major roadblock. I pray that it's not. But if it is, study it out. You owe it to yourself to know. And if I'm wrong and you study it out and the Bible shows you something differently, then great for you. But what if these verses actually mean what they say? What if this is actually what the Bible does say? It says, then you owe it to yourself. Revelation 22, 5, and they shall reign forever and ever. I would submit to you that Jesus has an incredible plan, not only to eradicate sin, but for us to overcome death. And I believe the Bible means exactly what it says. We rest, we sleep, we have no consciousness. And when he comes and the angel blasts that trumpet and he calls us forth and together we meet and we see the Lord, that's going to be a beautiful day. And I look forward to that day. Dear Heavenly Father, all we want to do is to trust you and you alone. We want to trust in your word. We want to trust what you have put there for us. And you always, always, always have our best interest at heart. Even when we don't fully understand, even when it doesn't always make the most sense to us, no matter what we go through, we can trust you and we can trust your word. That is the only sure thing in this world in which we live. And so I pray even on this sensitive subject of death and our loved ones, may we trust you and your word that the dead are sleeping, but that you have overcome death, that you have the keys of death, and that someday you will call them back to life. And what a beautiful reunion that will be. We look forward so much to that day. Keep us close to you. Until then, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.